1: Way fair, every
2: style, every home. Today's podcast is sponsored by June's Journey. June's Journey is a hidden object mystery game which transports you into a bygone age of mystery, danger, and romance set in the glamorous 1920s. You'll play as June Parker as she embarks on a quest to solve her sister's murder. But that's not all. You'll let your imagination run wild as you get to customize your own luxurious estate island with expensive gardens and beautiful buildings. So, can you crack the case? Download June's Journey for free today on iOS and Android. For exclusive podcasts and more, sign up at slash partners in crime media.
3: I'm Rebecca Lavoy, and this is Crime Writers On. Crime Writers on is the original true crime review podcast that digs into true crime, pop culture, other podcasts, and on this episode, everyone in this crazy civil trial is actually an actor, except for one juror who believes the whole thing is real. We'll talk about the comedy reality series Jury Duty from Freebie on Amazon Prime. Plus, on the heels of Leo Schofield's parole hearing, we'll discuss the new bonus episode of Bone Valley. Joining me to get that done and more is true crime author, TV journalist, and host of the These Are Their Stories podcast, my husband and love of my life, Kevin Flynn. Hey, Kevin. Hello, Rebecca. Also with us is private investigator, certified pet detective, resident cat lady, and author of The Final Curtain, Lara Bricker. Hey, Lara. Hey, Rebecca. And finally, our captain of all things cynical, the author of the City Trilogy of Novels, host of The Stranger Rivals podcast, and our Patreon Deep Dive Book Club podcast host, Toby Ball. Hey, Toby. Hey, Rebecca. All right, so Kevin, this is obviously Monday's podcast.
4: Yes. What is coming up on Thursday's program? On Thursday, we're going to be talking about the podcast, Think Twice, Michael Jackson. All
3: right, I'm looking forward to that discussion. It's going to be an interesting one. Mm-hmm. Um, so we have two things to talk about in this podcast. We're going to do something before we talked about our main topic, uh, and that is talk about what, Kevin?
4: We're going back... You really want to dick around on this, don't you? Okay, Bone Valley. We
3: are. So let's go ahead and drop the first clip right now of that bonus episode of Bone Valley. Leading off.
5: If he could appear, you know, and with him and Scott speaking together about this, I think that if that could happen, that might be the Hail Mary pass. We need something really powerful, something that was kind of like a game changer.
3: After all his appeals options have been exhausted, Leo Schofield has one last path to freedom. A Florida parole board agrees to consider his application for release. Setting aside his claims of innocence and focusing on his conduct during 35 years of incarceration, the board offers some hope.
2: And she said, Leo said, this is a meatball. And we didn't
5: quite understand that. What does that mean?
2: A meatball. Yeah, uh, <laughs> that's, that's a, my little sarcastic way of saying this. Is, we can handle this.
3: In the bonus episode of Bone Valley, Gilbert King and Kelsey Decker examine the board's nuanced ruling and talk to Leo about what lies ahead. All right. So this was a really interesting episode of Bone Valley because there's a lot of reveal at the beginning of what they are expecting to happen in this parole hearing. So, Laura, what did you think about this window into what we were getting sort of behind the scenes before the hearing even happened? I
1: liked this. As somebody that's worked in the criminal justice system, I think a lot of people see, you know, what happens when you actually get in the courtroom and, you know, resolutions in cases. And I think this was really interesting because we're hearing from everybody, you know, kind of the behind the scenes, behind the curtain, what it's like for everybody, you know, emotionally leading up to this hearing, you know, hearing what some of these uh, people on the parole board have already said they might do before they've even gotten to the hearing. And how everybody is getting ready for that, I think, for me, it was like not just, you know, courtroom procedural, but also the emotional toll of being involved in a case like this when there is so much at stake and you so desperately want
3: to have a different outcome for Leo. So I, I liked that. So, Kevin, we heard that uh, Judge Scott Cup, who's now Leo's lawyer, got to have some meetings before the hearing mm-hmm. yeah. with uh, some of the people who are on the board. and. He was pissed after the meetings.
4: <laughs> yeah, I mean, to talk about one of the, uh, I guess it was one of the parole board members just told him, you know, I'm a product of the system, even though he kind of intimated that, yeah, he gets that, that uh, Leo's getting fucked over. It's just, uh, you know. What I, does I, that mean, I'm a product of the system? I just said like, oh, I've been ar- around, and so I, you know, the jury said that that's what that is. I mean, I think in a way it just means that, I'm just not going to think about, you know, whether or not juries got it right, because I'm just going to assume that they did. And, you know, it's all part of this sort of uh, thought from a different generation that there is no way that the system could ever make mistakes. The cops can never arrest the wrong person. Juries would never get it wrong. And so, you know, I'm going to let that stand. Uh, it's funny because the parole board people keep saying that's not our job, but they always make it their job, right? They're very rarely like, oh, well you did a great time and you know, good conduct and you've been in all these programs and you should go, you know, on, uh, on parole. It's more, it's always sort of like, oh, the violence of your crime and your, it's, uh, you know, they relitigate the trial. And so, yeah, so if if they're going to go in with just sort of this straight actual innocence argument, there are people that are just not going to go for it. Right. They're just not going to open up their minds to even consider that. And this is a guy who apparently by that comment is that way. But in the end, we sort of see like all three of the parole board members. You know, have a nuanced view of, of it that is is positive for Leo.
3: He ends up being being almost the most flexible in a way. But I almost considered like the I'm the pro- I'm a product of the system to mean like I'm not going to go against the people in the system and like yeah. disagree with them yeah. less so than like I don't believe you because uh, yeah. he was more of a product of the system than Scott Cup. He was a fucking judge. Mm-hmm. Um. So Toby, there's definitely like um. Gilbert has not dropped being a journalist, but he has just come out and said now, like, I just can't stand by and watch this is wrong. He's like, he says at one point in this episode, I should just be sitting by and just reporting. Here's what happened Here's what happened. But it's just, you can't just sit, stand by and just not say like, this is fucking wrong, which is like, I mean, it's definitely a take. We don't hear a lot from, you know, Pulitzer Surprise winning journalists in podcasts.
5: True. I mean, it, there is sort of more sort of raw emotion in this that i think we're used to even i mean we've heard plenty of podcasts where the host and and the team you know become advocates but it's because of what they found in their journalism leads them to believe or know that their subject of their reporting is is innocent of the of the crime that they are uh in prison for so yeah I mean, that was kind of an interesting thing. It was interesting. They opened with uh you know a prayer that they were doing before the hearing, uh, the night before the hearing, and sort of how it had flipped from what their expectation was probably like a week before to what their expectation was the night before uh being much more pessimistic. yeah, and I just just to kind of pick up on what Kevin was saying about you know actual innocence and, and being a product i mean it's I don't know how comfortable parole boards are in overturning jury decisions like i don't know if that is that something that they're supposed to be kind of doing because i could see where that would be an issue too right is that they're just like yeah the jury got it wrong we think the jury got it wrong so we're letting you go so you know like a lot of stuff in our justice system it seems like it's a tough one and the way that the decisions have come out or the way the culture is at least in some places is in a way that bolsters the system rather than the claims of individuals who who may have been falsely convicted so anyway I, I just thought there's a lot of interesting stuff that comes up in it and they don't necessarily commentate on it necessarily but you kind of see Leo and then like Gilbert and Kelsey and their team um You see them kind of butt up against it, and you can kind of sort of draw your own conclusions about the way things are working.
3: What's interesting to me, and Laura, you kind of nod to this, so the woman who's the head of the parole board believes that Leo, she'll listen to the podcast, we heard this in an earlier episode, believes that Leo is innocent. But she really walks this line in, like, talking at the parole hearing, and is very sort of, if you didn't know anything about the background of this, you'd think she's, like, pro-prosecution, but just being, like, really, like... Uh, doing her job here and following the letters of the rules of the parole board but if you think about it what parole boards are supposed to do is literally like the parole was set as part of the sentence you have this sentence but you are eligible for parole in a period of time which is supposed to be based on your perceived danger to the community and your perceived like have you done enough time have you been a good inmate and are you a danger to the community right But then they always do this thing where it's like, do you have remorse? As if that's some kind of like measure of whether or not you're a future danger to the community, which is like such a bullshit measure. And as we hear this state senator say, who's like sort of in charge of this whole commission thing, like you can't have remorse if you're not, if you didn't do it, which is a really like incredible thing for him to say in this forum. But like that's the literal job of the parole board. If you are a product of the system, then your literal job is to say if parole is built into your sentence and you do fit these requirements... Mm-hmm. You should fucking be getting parole. Like, that's what I don't understand. That That's that's why when they bring in the moral judgments, it does make me so angry.
1: Yeah, and, and I agree. I mean, I was so glad that uh, this parole board member, Melinda, went that way with her vote and everything that she was saying. But I felt like, like you're saying, Rebecca, very frustrated listening to this because you've got somebody that's been a model inmate who is wanting to mentor other inmates who, you know, has done everything that he should do while he's been incarcerated. But because of the fact that he will not express remorse for, you know, and we know he wouldn't take a plea deal at one point, which would have gotten him out in a much shorter period of time because he wasn't going to plead to this because it was something that he didn't do. So to hear them get so stuck on like the state did its job, the state proved its case, like That seems more like the type of discussion you should be having if you are before a higher court for an appeal. And you're talking about appeal issues, not whether you're talking about release issues. And I think part of that was because there has been, I mean, I just like looking in from the outside, it seems like they want to address that because there has been so much attention on this case in the media and through the podcast um, that they felt like they needed to say that. But yeah, the end result. Okay. Okay. It's better than it was, but also like, what the fuck, man? Yeah. It was it was really frustrating to listen to. Yeah,
3: it's also because, you know, they're going to see each other at the country club later, right? And, you know, they <laughs> got to be like, I had your back there, man. I, I, sa- I did what I had to do, but I also had your back in there. I didn't say you were a bad guy when I was at, up there doing my speech at the table. Um, so, Kevin, there are some things to note, right? Like the argument from the state has shifted. They didn't bring the autopsy yeah. photos, they didn't do all that bullshit that they've done before.
4: Yeah, they didn't seem to go uh full bore on that. I don't know if that's because maybe they also listen to the podcast and they're starting they to realize they did the weakness in their case. And so, yeah, I mean, but we know that the system is built for preserving convictions and not really looking at, uh, you know, actual innocence or anything like that. And you know, again, we're looking at a parole hearing, and it really should be strictly about parole, and I don't know if they really made any sort of argument. Again, they're, all their arguments ever at parole hearings are that the crime was really heinous, and they did it, and they need to stay in for as long as possible, and it's longer than they did today, you know? So maybe that means that in 12 months, again, if it's the same guy from the Attorney General's office, you know, maybe they're not going to, again, throw a bunch of autopsy photos and, and misrepresent everything that happened at the crime just to try to keep him in for longer.
3: Yeah. So Toby, I know you have thoughts about how media and the criminal legal system interact and how not everybody gets the same treatment, right?
5: Yeah. I mean, I, I, you know, it comes up again and again, which is, you know, we're following this really closely and a lot invested in Leo's, uh, the outcomes that, that Leo gets. But you just think about the number of people who don't have podcasts about him, who don't have like, Public eyes on them who are just going through the system, like thousands of other people, and you know these individual like i I assume that in a year Leo will be free, you know, and is that too long, yeah, absolutely, but I think there is an outcome in sight that's good, but I think just sort of from a systemic viewpoint, it's you know somebody else who has a similar type of innocence argument, but not in a case that's this interesting or he's not as eloquent or as likable in general. Like what happens to that person? And my guess is not too freaking much. Uh, I just don't think there's a whole lot of pressure on the parole board to grant random prisoners parole. And this is sort of an unusual situation in that you had a ton of eyes on it and you had a ton of people sort of pulling for them. And I think you also have a lot of facts out there that show that the jury did get it wrong, not necessarily to their own fault, but that's what ended up happening. So yeah, I mean, it's again, like these individual wins are, are great, but the systemic problems continue. And I, this doesn't seem, and I could be totally off. I may just not know, but Doesn't seem like the accumulations of these sort of anecdotal things that we've seen in media has led to any kind of, you know, larger movement to reform things. I think it's just things people get kind of pissed off or or elated depending on what happens. But is there really a move for the way change in the way things are done any more so now than there were, you know, 20 years ago before true crime had its like rebirth or sudden you know, new popularity.
3: It's going to take a long time because it's going to take like the kids of podcast listeners to grow up and become lawyers and run for office or whatever to make a difference because as we heard, even the state senator guy is like, Florida has one of the greatest legal systems in the world. I'm like, um, (laughs) <laughs> cool so yeah. great that you think that after everything you flattery, know flattery <laughs> flattery after everything you've seen after everything you know and i know this is not the only case you know about where shit like this went down so final thoughts uh we heard from a lot of people in this podcast at the very end especially a long soliloquy from leo La- uh, laura bricker what was it like for you hearing from leo um like really putting the punctuation mark at the end of this whole thing
1: i think that was the best part of this episode uh because like I said I was I was frustrated I was listening to this I was getting like my criminal justice hackles up but I think everybody that left that felt so disappointed then you talk to Leo he's like puts it in perspective like he's like it's another 9 months and I can do that you'll do it with me and he talks about his goals going forward and he just talks about putting this into perspective in his life compared to what he's already been through and I think He really had grace in the way that he talked about it. I'm still fired up, but I'm like, okay, we're moving. At least something is changing. He's going to a different location. He's going somewhere that is one step closer to release. And that is a good thing. So I think having his voice at the end was the perfect way to wrap that up.
3: Yeah, I do think, Kevin, you noted, too, that um, everyone is so disappointed in the ruling until like, they go outside and talk to the other parolees. The parolees like,
4: who are like, no way, man, this is awesome. This is
3: fire. We pay for that R- ruling. That was yeah. incredible. Yeah,
4: it's just a meatball. I will say that this podcast episode is great because, first of all, it sounds like Bone Valley, right? It doesn't sound like a weird tack on everybody's there. I think they do a great job considering that a big chunk of this is just testimony from this hearing, and it's still they still make it go along very well, and you still get the stakes and whatnot, and I will just say that I have to note that Kelsey remains the emotional center of this whole podcast, unless you count uh, middle-aged grumpiness, and that would be Uh, That would be Gilbert's emotions. Hey, grumpiness. Uh, You know, when she starts crying, talking to Leo at the end, I immediately start crying, too. I'm like, fuck you, Kelsey. I hate you so much for making me do this, for making me ball. Wait, for making
3: you be a human being?
4: Yes, I know. I'm a human being. But it's just just so great, you know, the tears of gratitude and, you know, to make us all feel that way. So, anyway, great job.
2: I'm now nine months away from getting home. And... Um, to me, that's just amazing. I can't thank you enough for that. I want to make sure you thank her for it.
1: Leo, her I'm part. here. <laughs> oh my gosh, I like.
5: I know you can hear it in my voice. I I cannot compose myself. I'm just sitting
3: here, like listening to you. And yeah, great job to all involved with Bone Valley. Kudos to you all.
1: Disney Plus and Hulu are better together in the Disney Bundle with new movies and series. On Disney+, Plus, experience the full Taylor Swift The Era's Tour, Taylor's version, with new main show performances and acoustic collection. On Hulu, follow the fantastical evolution of Bella Baxter, played by Emma Stone, in the award-winning film Poor Things. All of these and more streaming this month. Get the Disney Bundle with Disney Plus and Hulu. Terms apply. See DisneyBundle.com for details.
0: Chapter 1. Wayfair welcomes you to the Waberhood. Our hero, Titus Burgess... Amble down the stylish street of an enchanting utopia. A woman waved from a chic lounger. Welcome to the Waverhood, she said, where Wayfair helps everyone create a home they love. Titus stared in awe. Bohemian Boulevard, Trinsetter Terrace, Mid-Century Circle. Titus, huh? you're reading the Wayfair catalog. Oh, you'll love chapter two. Wayfair's fast and free shipping saves a potluck.
1: Wayfair, every style, every home.
2: Today's podcast is sponsored by June's Journey. June's Journey is a hidden object mystery game which transports you into a bygone age of mystery, danger, and romance set in the glamorous 1920s. You'll play as June Parker as she embarks on a quest to solve her sister's murder. But that's not all. You'll let your imagination run wild as you get to customize your own luxurious estate island with expensive gardens and beautiful buildings. So, can you crack the case? Download June's Journey for free today on iOS and Android.
3: All right, let's move on to our main review. Moving on.
2: I'm stoked to the max. I'm so
5: happy to be here. I'm going to be upset if I don't get on the jury, for sure.
3: Documentarians are granted unfettered access to a civil trial and the deliberations of its jury. The panel includes Ronald Gladden, who takes his role earnestly. What he doesn't know is that the judge, the lawyers, and his 11 fellow jurors are all actors. Are there any other reasons aside from this trip that you feel that you would not be able to be a good juror for this matter?
5: Um, I... I, I, Sorry. I also am a racist. I'm sorry,
2: you're a racist?
5: I, uh... No, I'm. I'm sorry. I. I'm not. I'm not racist. I. Um, I was. Okay. I was told that that would work. Too. Who told you
2: that?
3: When alternate juror James Marsden, played by the real James Marsden, gets the jury sequestered, Ronald remains unaware of the elaborate charade as he interacts with quirky characters, ridiculous situations, and bizarre testimony. It's true that you were once arrested for masturbating in a movie
2: theater. Yes, that's true. What was the movie? Pacific Rim Uprising.
3: It's not sexy.
2: What? I saw that. There was zero arousal for me.
3: Jury Duty, available on Amazon's Freevee, wraps its scripted trial in a real-life comedy of manners featuring an unsuspecting everyman. But Ronald surprises both the audience and the producers with his heartwarming tolerance to the idiosyncratic jurors, the oddball defendant, and the outrageous set pieces engineered for his benefit. Spoiler alert, we are going to be talking about plot points from jury duty. So if you want to remain spoiler free, go to the estimated time code in our show notes for our thumbs up or thumbs down reviews. Okay, so Kevin, um, this was something that I, when I first saw the trailer for, I was like, that looks hilarious, but how can it last for what eight episodes, right? Seven or eight episodes. It's yeah, it just it just seems like a one note thing that maybe would be good for a, a like a quick you know like episode of like uh, America's Funniest Home Videos
4: or candid camera, right? But how punked, can, yeah. how
3: can they pull it out? It really all depends on execution, right?
4: Yeah, I mean, first of all, to say this was so original and incredibly funny. I mean, with this concept, you're only ever going to get one shot. You can never do a season two because people will catch on, so it really shoots the apple right off the top of uh, William Tell's son's head or however that went down. I mean, I think that it just was that, you know, there was so much planning put into it and that the actors do such a great job, you know, with a lot of improv but also a lot of, you know, charted directions to go and we see sort of at the very end, like, you know, they have their own choose-your-own-adventure if A happens, if B happens, things things will uh, turn out, but... I mean, it's just so good, and, of course, it's because you have a unique person as, as the center of the uh, the story, which is Ronald.
3: Yeah, but he isn't really a unique person, right, Toby? I mean, like, I think they set out to cast somebody that... I mean, I don't want to say they were, they're planning on making fun of their protagonist. I just don't think that they thought they were going to have a protagonist that was going to be as ultimately successful as Ronald was. I mean, the casting choice is not particularly um inspired in many ways right
5: yeah well i mean he seems like the default right he's like a sort of amiable youngish white guy so i guess maybe that made it feel safer yeah i don't know where they found this guy like
3: craigslist (laughs) craigslist he applied (laughs) didn't you see the last episode (laughs) yeah Yeah, i did but i mean (laughs) but
5: how did they how'd they like narrow it down to him um, I mean, because he couldn't have been the only person, right? I mean, they, they had a lot of choices. So, yeah, I mean, he ends up being the perfect person for this in that I, he just kind of navigates everything. Like he he's he's like sort of very tolerant. And it's not that he's not like these guys are nuts or these guys are, are weird, but that he's just sort of accepting of it and kind of uh, appreciates people for the way. I mean, they're actors, obviously. But for the way they're sort of portraying themselves he he just seems like very sort of inclusive and in the end he was like the right person there to choose for the jury for foreman, even though it was a
3: setup yeah, I mean Laura doesn't the whole thing sort of depend on though I mean he's obviously surrounded by actors, and some mm-hmm. of the actors are more there's like a there's like a spectrum right of like every yeah. man and then it goes and it seems like <laughs> It it was really, I think, a tightrope because there were some characters in this that were so just to this like the one line of being like strange enough that you're that if if you if you met them in real life, you'd be like, is this person real? But then they would sort of pull back. Like they really had to cast the actor characters perfectly. Like I think the bailiff was perfect. Yeah. I think some of the jurors were just subtle enough to be like uh, uh, Vanessa, the, who was played by Cassandra, who the bailiff got her name wrong that one time. Perfect. Just, just enough amount of shade, just enough amount of subtlety. Perfect. But then, of course, you had Todd, Mr. Chairpants. Pants, uh, oh, he who was, was my favorite. <laughs> I mean, Chance? but don't you think that that tight, that tight rope of like, having to have enough outrageousness and having to have enough subtlety, but then throwing James Marsden on top of it, like that is hard to fucking pull off.
1: Well, I think what was so great about it is when you know, at the end, when you come in and see how they set this up, I mean, they, they were like pushing the envelope throughout the entire taping of this documentary or mockumentary or whatever we want to call it to see how far they could push it before Ronald has a reaction where he's like, this is fucking bullshit. But mm-hmm. I mean, like right off the bat during the void you've got the person who's like, well, I, you know, I'm in the Reddit Bureau of Investigations. <laughs> and then you have the guy who's like, yeah, I have uh, 36 kids. I can't be away from my kids. And he's like 30, uh, my students, you know? <laughs> so I think you have so many different, um, you know, people that are really pushing it, um, waiting to see the reaction Waiting to see. I mean, so many things in this. I'm like, oh my god, that's the best part. And then something else happens, and I'm like, no, that's the best part. And and Ronald, he just like, just when you think, oh, this is finally going to be the thing. Like the weird, uh, my favorite scene. Well, one of my favorite scenes, the the bed sex jumping scene. Mm.
3: I stay still. Right. Somebody else jumps on the bed. Because then it's, it's not me. Bed is just going up and down. I mean, that's 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 that's.
2: So wait. So right. you'll park the car in the garage exactly and then someone else will have to come in and jump on your bed
1: he just like laughs it off and i'm like okay that's the point where i would have been like really yeah really <laughs> um i i just um but i think that's what makes this so fun is that when you get that retrospective look back and you look at all these ridiculous things you're like Oh God! Like the guy,
3: the, the chairpan guy, who's like sliding Todd. notes under the door. Yes, Todd. Yes, I, I actually, I actually think, and Kevin, I wanted to ask you about this because um, I think that James Mark putting a celebrity in there was the key to the whole thing, because I think that um, Ronald was so distracted in some ways by interacting oh. with a celebrity that some of the that he had like a, a truly distracting foil. That was like playing cover almost for some of the weirdness happening around him.
4: I hadn't thought of it that way, but James Marsden is just a delight in this. And the fact that he could keep pulling it off. I mean, for some, I keep thinking that. There are certain actors and their skills are like improv and there's like 11 of them doing this and then there's James Marsden and you don't know like really it's like when you see a, a movie star all of a sudden they're on Broadway and they're singing and dancing you're like I didn't know they could do that and so <laughs> uh but I should have known because they're a great actor and yeah uh, and so he does he's like absolutely fearless and you know he will just do whatever to poke fun at his own celebrity and <laughs> Just the fact that he's the one that get them gets them all sequestered, you know, it's just uh, it was brilliant. Yeah, I mean, he makes for a great, I don't want to say a, a foil, but his celebrity is something that, you know, kind of, you know, his his big credit card can save everybody. Like, you know, when they're at Margaritaville and they run up a bill and it's like, okay, I'll pay for it, but you got to arm wrestle me for it.
3: Yeah, he's famous, but not famous enough. Like, he's just famous <laughs> enough
4: and Ronald keeps telling well, you were in this movie you are in that movie <laughs> oh
3: yeah last night I rewatched I uh, forgot how good you were in that
4: you play one of my top five favorite roles of all time
5: oh, it's, it's cool. dude you probably can't guess the judge is in it the whole time I haven't done many courtroom dude, dramas so, oh it's not a, I haven't it's done not it. a real judge sex drive dude <laughs> my
4: god did you buy that one or did you watch it on Hulu no I bought it there we go
3: like Ronald even the way he interacts with this famous person is just so lovely yeah and like and like it's believable and it's like he's not he doesn't like suck up to him he's not like overly impressed by him but at the same time he's like running lines with him like helping him practice for his stupid fucking audition stupid fake audition um let's just sometimes (laughs) what did
1: he say i got wounds sometimes (laughs) that's all i got Yeah. yeah
3: yeah um so toby let's talk about like just what it's like just because this does represent something even though it's fake that is real when you are thrown together with people for a period of time? I I don't know. I mean, a jury is one because this let's be real. There is some legal stuff in here, but not really. It really is just kind of a social experiment. What happens when you are thrown together with people who are not like you? Um, How do you think it succeeds in that way? I thought
5: it was like remarkably accurate (laughs) based on my, uh, my experience. I mean, I was never sequestered but it is like, it's just a cross section, right? So you just get, you know, whoever on your jury, and then you're trying to all get together and make a decision on something. And you're coming at it from very different angles and different amounts of paying attention to while the trials going on, there's a woman, she's on two juries, I think with me, like in New Hampshire, you, you, no. you like a jury duty and you get two weeks and you can do, however many trials you can get through in two weeks. So I did three trials. I think this one was on two of them or she was on one and made a big impression. The judge, the judge was constantly talking to her, like stop chewing gum, you know, (laughs) stop laughing at something that you're like reading in your lap. You know, it was just like, she was just constantly being inappropriate. And then she like would act really put out when the judge would call her out for it. So it was, I mean, it's an interesting it's an interesting thing. Like I get the kind of philosophy behind it is that, you know, community, like get people from the community to, to pass judgment on uh, a person's guilt or innocence, or, or in the case of some of the stuff I was doing, their liability in certain situations. Yeah. So I felt like this, you know, it's obviously a little exaggerated, like the characters are a little bit over the top, but it wasn't, Like, it kind of captured the basic feel of being in a jury room, I would
3: say. So, Kevin, what if it had been somebody different than Ronald?
4: Oh, yeah. I mean, I don't know if this really works because, like, in a parallel universe, it's like this weird—it's like punked, And, you know, all of a sudden it becomes uh, the hero, and that's what they refer to whoever was going to be in this role. It becomes their annoyance. And that's the thing you laugh at. And it's like, oh, because they keep rolling their eyes and they're, they're astonished as opposed to being this really heartwarming thing where he's very earnest. And he's a straight man. Straight, every comedy needs a straight man. And he's a natural uh, straight man, which makes it really, really funny. He definitely gets the buy-in. And if you want to buy into Patreon, oh. we could get Are we you. in the business section? All of a sudden, the business section just came out of nowhere. Wow, just like
3: those chair pants just came just out like of nowhere. Just like the chair nowhere. pants. Yeah. Yeah. Well. like that note under the door. Yeah. Just are, like that are, turn.
4: That, or the bikini top that doesn't fit, you know.
3: <laughs> really doesn't fit.
4: Yeah, you can get episodes of Crime Writers on early and ad-free. You could already have been listening to this by going to patreon.com slash partners in crime media. You could also get the Crime Writers on after show... On this week's after show, Rebecca is going to tell us about her uh, experience flying first class, oh and the woman who was unable to. It has
3: nothing to do with me flying first class. It's all to do. It's the most. It's the most crazy airplane experience I have ever had. It was like the kind of thing that you see on the news when someone videotapes it, except no one did.
4: Yeah, you were like Ronald, <laughs> but in the front of the plane. Yes. Uh, you also are going to get to hear Toby Ball's Deep Dive Book Club podcast. Toby just recorded this fantastic episode about a motor spirit. This is the Jared Kobeck book about the Zodiac Killer. Toby, tell us who was on.
5: Uh, our very own Rebecca Lavoy. And Janet Varney and Jillian Pensavalli from True Crime Obsessed.
4: I hear people are going to be really uh, pleased with how this turned out.
5: Uh, they certainly should be.
4: Uh, no, it was, should. it was a very... <laughs>
5: <laughs> no, it was, it was a fun conversation. I mean, people... It's. I mean, it's a total... It's like kind of the classic cult book in that I don't think a zillion people have read it, but the people who do read it are like kind of obsessed with it. Mm-hmm. Um, so if you kind of put that fact into this conversation that we had you know it was it, it was good it was, it was interesting like everybody was was super invested in in, in talking about the book and, and their sort of takes on and stuff so
3: and uh, it was a fun conversation Jillian Pensavalli by the way is a zodiac Fanatic. Ah, that was the case. Sure. That was her like uh, gateway into the whole true crime world.
4: So it's like the heroine of true crime books.
3: Oh no, it's not like that. Not that bad. That. Okay. No. All right. Didn't say that. All right. In addition to all that, <laughs> weird, <laughs> weird thing to say. <laughs> I wouldn't say that. Okay. We have
4: Leave It to Bricker, and we have uh, Married with Podcast. Also, want to let you know that coming up on Patreon, we're gonna do another live taping of Crime Writers on. Will you be able to come in and watch us goof off and and make all of our mistakes and argue at each other and before they all gets taken out? And you get to hear how the podcast goes. I don't have a date yet because I got to work it around on my umpire stuff. All right. And also sign up for the Crime Writers On newsletter. Go to crimewriterson.com and leave your uh, leave your email address. We promise only to sell it to aluminum siding salesmen.
3: All right. Does that have the business section, Kevin?
4: Thus ends the business section.
3: I'm going to go ahead and fade that music out right now.
2: Today's podcast is sponsored by June's Journey. June's Journey is a hidden object mystery game which transports you into a bygone age of mystery, danger, and romance set in the glamorous 1920s. You'll play as June Parker as she embarks on a quest to solve her sister's murder. But that's not all. You'll let your imagination run wild as you get to customize your own luxurious estate island with expensive gardens and beautiful buildings. So, can you crack the case? Download June's Journey for free today on iOS and Android.
3: All right, so Laura, there were actually some court and jury conventions in this show, even though there weren't a ton, but there were some. My yeah. my personal favorite was the view. Uh, I loved when they went to the um, you know, the scene of the alleged uh, crime, and then they had the little Westworld uh, little nod scene <laughs> in the room with the mannequins, which was very funny. Um, yeah. What was your favorite actual court uh, legal type thing that they did? in this show called Jury Duty, which was only kind of about Jury Duty.
1: (laughs) Well, it's interesting. Like we laugh because it was really funny. And obviously this is a comedy and this is like a punk sort of thing. But as somebody that's worked in the court system and been there for jury selection and seen uh, the other side of the people showing up, they had the procedure accurate. And I especially loved when there was like ineffective assistance of counsel. And I'm like, oh my God, Do you know how many times that comes up? Always one of my personal favorites. And then somebody wants to represent themselves pro se, and they do. And then it's a real show. Um, You know, I remember as a reporter covering a case where this guy, like, was able to um, convince the court that he was going to be a pro se defendant. And he would just, like, launch into these, like, diatribes in the middle, like, you know, seventeen seventy six, and what happened? And are you familiar with the spirit of seventeen seventy six? And so, which you seems, know what that flag with the fringe means? Yeah, and <laughs> it was like, and you hear this, and you're like, that sounds ridiculous. That didn't happen. But then you see this show, and you're like, oh. No, some of the real life things that I've seen could actually have happened in the show. I also really, yeah, first of all, also the um, animation recreation of how everything <laughs> happened. I was
4: like, <laughs> that was "What great.
1: was
3: that? <laughs> that was super fun. It's what a rich um, person could, could could like afford, right? Like one of those, um, yeah, one of those like Korean animation, Taiwanese news, oh Taiwanese, yeah. yes." Uh, yeah. <laughs> and, and now we are in the court. Yeah. Well, I, I did cover
1: when I was uh, working for the Associated Press. I covered a death penalty case who was a very wealthy person. And he had like this montage put together at the end of the case with like music and videos. And I'm like, wow, like <laughs> clients at the Public Defender don't get this kind of video. <laughs> um So, yeah, I just think it was great. And the judge was fantastic. The judge was like, I felt like I was watching like a Judge Judy judge, but he pushed it a little bit, but he kept it in check enough until the end
3: during the big reveal. So one of the things that they said in the um, reveal episode, which I actually want to ask you about, too, Toby, what you think about the way they did that, but they said that they did not expect Ronald to be as invested in the legal case as he ended up being, that he didn't expect him to pay as much attention, they didn't expect him to be as thoughtful and as like, you know, invested in that part of it as he was. They thought it was mostly going to be about the interpersonal reactions, but he took that role extremely seriously. What'd you think about that?
5: Well, as he should, (laughs) right? I
3: mean, it was a civil trial though. I mean, a lot of people I think would enter that situation even earnestly and be like, maybe not handle it with as high a stakes, um, you know, sort of attitude, especially given the absurdity of the actual case, the absurdity of the plaintiff, even, you know, it was very much like a Gwyneth Paltrow level, like, (laughs) Uh, Rich person, kind of situation.
5: Look, I was in a timber taking trial and uh, (laughs) it was a complete freak show. And uh, we
3: had a t shirt about the timber taking trial, by the way.
5: We we took it seriously, man.
3: (laughs) And it was like
5: the actual trial itself was, I would say, at least as weird as that one was. The jury wasn't quite as distracting, but there was just some. Bizarre, bizarre shit that happened, like w- while court was in session, and uh and yeah, and we st- we still, you know, people were pretty focused. We realized it was going to be a big deal for one of the two sides, unless you kind of split the middle, which is what ended up happening. I guess I would be, I would have been disappointed if he hadn't taken it seriously. Mm. If he just gotten so got so wrapped up in all these like little side things as like oh, I don't really give a shit about. The actual thing I'm here to do. Yeah, so.
3: yeah. I just give a shit about the lunch order. The food situations were so fun. Yeah, it was hilarious. <laughs> this made the food stuff so fraught. <sighs> you know, I just want to say a side note that it like we were talking about. Um, I was talking with Jason Moon the other day about Bear Brook and the jurors and stuff because we're preparing for this event thing we're doing, and he had a very good question. Why are jurors allowed to deliberate? Aren't you supposed to just take the evidence and like make a decision based on what you know? Like, why are they allowed to try to convince each other of stuff? Isn't that weird? Think about it. Just like leave that thought there. So, Kevin, who are your favorite jurors in this? Uh, in this? Uh, oh, well, cast? I mean,
4: I think uh, Jeannie loved and her. Noah are great, and but you know, and kudos to Todd for keeping a straight face with all the all the goofy stuff. Uh, I, I, Ken became one of my favorites yes, for some reason. A gambling
3: problem. I, you know, <laughs> I loved him. I
4: like that. The end. The actor said it was so hard to talk a slow as ken uh i think it's a hard character i think to keep up for two weeks so kudos to that actor his name is ron song so i don't know if he's up for an emmy but uh he ought to get some consideration just
3: like making up the fake game with the rules
4: <laughs> you drop those sticks. Oh, look at where it's pointing. Oh. It's touching this. Huh. Oh it's no! Like,
3: One
4: hundred yeah. multiplier.
3: <laughs> I owe you two thousand dollars. Like, no, I'm not taking your two thousand yeah. dollars. I mean, that was that really, I think, uh, was a real reveal about Ronald right there. It was really incredible. Oh, it's
4: We're okay. No, 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 no. We're You're not, are so so kind. I'm not taking
5: twenty dollars from you, let alone two thousand dollars. Oh, we,
4: we won't do. We will We won't do that. No. Yeah, we won't. Uh-huh. But I, I I must pay my. Dad. No,
5: this is all for fun, man. This is this is just for fun. Uh, Don't yes, worry about
4: it. Yes, that that was very fun for me.
3: Okay, so before we wrap up, we have to talk about the choice that was made in the storytelling structure here. A lot of reality shows like this, the audience would be in on the backstage of it. Um, from the beginning and we would have seen the manipulation happening in real time and we would have been like that that's usually how it's done this show did not do that this show did the whole final episode as a pullback the layers reveal laura it starts with the judge bringing him in and telling him here's what happened and we find out along with ronald how it all worked laura how did you feel about that storytelling choice in this show
1: i loved it um and it was it was fun because you know, as the judge was beginning to like fess up to Ronald, you're waiting to, I mean, I was like, oh, Ronald's going to have a huge reaction. And he just kind of sat there like he kind of took it in. At first, I think he almost thought it was a joke. Um, And he's like, oh. But I think for me, when they then went around and opened up the door to show all of the people that were there in this sort of makeshift studio working on this the whole time, I really loved when they were showing the clips of how they were deciding to do certain things. I mean, I just thought it was great because it really, for me, have, like watching it, I'm thinking, oh, like, yeah, they've just got documentary people following around, whatever. They're going to see what they can get on tape. But it was a lot more scripted and choreographed than I initially realized. Because I was looking at it thinking this is more like improv comedy, really. Mm-hmm. And and it was. But Improv comedy with an entire team behind the scenes, you know, helping it unfold. Uh,
3: Like the poop scene. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Had to construct the poop. Well, they also, it made sense of why they had a whole second group over another hotel. Because they were rehearsing for things that they had to do with Ronald. Like they were able to like... That's mm-hmm. the reason why they had a whole separate group of actors at a separate hotel was because they were rehearsing. They were trying to figure out how they were going to get Ronald to do certain things. The fact that they had him isolated doing a covid test while they took the whole cast over to the warehouse to figure out how they were going to mm-hmm. get him up the stairs because they had to respond in real time to things they didn't expect him to do. Toby, how did how did you feel about the way that they revealed all that to us in one condensed episode?
5: Uh, So I haven't watched much reality TV, so I don't know really what the conventions are. Uh, But I thought it was interesting. I mean, it it made sense. So the whole time, you're in on it, right? So, I mean, part of the fun is watching these actors kind of manipulate things to set up these situations that are like right, like totally pushing the envelope of believability. And then just to kind of see like what goes into it. Uh, I think like Laura was saying that, You can definitely watch it and be like, wow, these people are really like, yes, sanding it and making it all work. But in fact, it's, there's this whole plot that they're sort of moving along uh, in that way with all these little side things and, and manipulations of of all the episodes. That was the kind of one that, that went on. Like, I feel like they had to fill up the full 23 minutes or whatever. So there are times it's like, okay, get the picture, but you know. Whatever. I mean, for the most part, the whole thing was very funny and engaging.
3: Didn't you feel, Kevin, though, like it also showed us how other reality TV is made? Like, I felt like, you know what I mean?
4: But I think that we would be, you know, way more interested in how this gets pulled off. You know, we start from the beginning with... Just really knowing this much. We think we're in on it, but we really aren't in on a lot of it. We're in on what Ronald is up to and that these guys are all acting. But we, you're right. We don't see any of how the sausage is made. And that's okay because, first of all, the show plays to the audience like an actual sitcom. The whole thing isn't people winking at the camera, right? The story, like almost if you miss the part that Ronald isn't in on it, you know, those episodes could be a regular sitcom. Yeah. You've got... You've got the Jason Bateman in Arrested Development character in the middle of it, because they keep playing that part to the camera, and um, even when they're outside of Ronald's point of view, you know that they, they, yeah, they do things to the camera. They speak to the
3: camera, to the camera in ca- in character. Yeah, they yeah. do.
4: And so that whole part like continues to go along, and I think you need it. And it isn't the end. Now, if they kept like bumping into episodes and you see the producers and them talking about stuff all the way through, that would really sort of break that. Pop that bubble for us. And so it, it isn't until the end and you're like, man, how did they do it? And that I thought was tearing down that fourth wall completely and showing us those things that maybe in another show you would see as they go, you know, in real time as it went along. I thought was just I just thought it was really inspired.
3: All right, let's do what we do. Let's let our listeners know. Should they check out Jury Duty? It's on Freevee, which you can get through Amazon Prime and the Freevee app. Laura Bricker, what do you think? Thumbs up or thumbs down for Jury Duty?
1: Well, yeah, I love Freebie for shows like Magnum P.I. <laughs> and Murder, She Wrote, other shows that I have watched on the Freebie app late at night when I can't sleep. Um, I really like this. I thought this was super fun. Um, we watch a lot of heavy true crime and crime documentaries. And, you know, this was this was light. But I do think, despite it being light and comedic, it really did give an accurate window into what the jury process is like for jurors, um, which can can sometimes be absurd um, depending on who's in the trial. So I would recommend this. Um, It was a lot of fun to watch. I watched it over the weekend and then I rewatched certain parts that I wanted to see again. Like the um, there was a certain bed scene that was very entertaining to me that I (laughs) I watched a few times because I was like, that's really funny. So
3: um, thumbs up for me. Toby Ball, what do you think? Thumbs up or thumbs down for jury duty?
1: Yeah, I'm a
5: thumbs up. I mean, it's, it's it's very funny. It's light. It's uh, it's sort of good-hearted, um, I, and I don't have a whole lot more to say about it other than that. But I think it's like it's a fun summer watch, um, period. Kevin Flynn,
4: yeah, I'm a big thumbs up. I thought that this was unique and surprisingly heartwarming. Without spoiling anything, the character that they get in the middle here, Ronald, is just. It isn't until the end when they start talking about what he experienced, when other people are telling him what they observed about him that you realize yeah this was a great guy and even though it was a weird entertaining situation for us uh he was really the heart and soul of this entire comedy reality thing i wish there were more things like this um but i don't think you pro- i don't you know i don't think you can do it like that once people once word gets out about how good this is uh so maybe this is a one and done a unique thing but I uh, I certainly enjoyed it, and I hope other people get to watch it.
3: Yeah, I love Jury Duty. Huge thumbs up for me. Um, yeah, I think everyone has already said what I wanted to say. I just want to say it's one of the most uplifting things I've watched in a long time, and I didn't expect that. Um, so yeah, big thumbs up for me for Jury Duty. Now it's time for my favorite part of the podcast—a little something I like to call the crime of the week. Crime of the week! Authorities say a woman who was stranded in the Australian outback survived for five days on nothing but lollipops and a bottle of wine. Officials say 48-year-old Lillian was on vacation in Victoria when she took a wrong turn and ended up in the Mita Mitta bushland. Her car got stuck in the mud and with health problems that prevent her from walking long distances, she stayed in her car for heat while awaiting rescue. Lillian says she didn't think she'd be out long and didn't pack provisions with her. All she had in the car were a bunch of lollipops and a bottle of wine she got as a gift for her mother. On her fifth day alone in the bush, she was spotted by a rescue chopper. Lillian has learned several important lessons. Follow road directions carefully. Have emergency supplies in your car and Tootsie Pops pair nicely with a dry Merlot. Mm -hmm. Panel, what provisions are currently in your car that you could use for several days in the woods? Laura Bricker, what do you think? So now that
1: I don't have a younger child, I don't keep as much like spare random things. I always used to have emergency food in my car when Will was little. Um, I think now the only thing you're going to find in there are a couple like really old granola bars that I have in the center (laughs) console in case of emergency. And... Um, I've still got a headband from the Great Gatsby party. I, I don't know. Maybe I could use the um, what you call it feather on there to do some fishing and, and get myself a fish. To, I, I don't know. I, so
3: I would die basically. I don't have any wine in my car, sadly. Tell me about what about you? Provisions are currently in your car that you could use to survive several days in the woods. I did a quick inventory
5: before we uh, started recording today because I saw the thing. I and I'm I'm in pretty good shape. I think I've got a padlock but no key. Mm. <laughs> uh, so am not sure what I'm doing with that. I've got a uh, winter cap that's in my trunk for some reason. And uh, I've got two like slightly used COVID masks.
3: Nice. What about you, Kevin?
4: Uh, for me, let's see, I've got a whole bunch of uh, umpire equipment, so I probably could bushwhack, you know, without getting uh, too many uh, sticks to the, crotch area or the chest, Uh, but I think mostly I would live on the muffin stumps in the curled up bags of Dunkin' Donuts. (laughs) Like when I get a muffin, I eat the top and then I just put the... stump at you know maybe i'm saving it for such c- an occasion get all the dead
3: rats that go in your car eat oh jesus i don't need really dead Buns, rats in my car stumps. i've got four dog leashes three tennis balls and a frisbee that's all i got in my uh-huh. car fucked so i guess the way i can get the coyotes to run the other way maybe i don't yeah. know all right that's gonna do it for us laura bricker if folks want to find you on social media how can they find you there They
1: can find me at Lara Bricker and uh, send me something to wash down my granola bars.
3: (laughs) It should be wine. (laughs) You can send her some hint in the mail. Toyoba, what about you? If you want to be found on social media, how can you be found there?
4: at Toby Ball and, H. and
3: Kevin Flynn, if folks want to know what the hell is a muffin stump, how can they find you on social media?
4: You can see it at Kevin P. Flynn. And if you want to follow me
3: on Twitter or Instagram or anywhere else, you can find me at RebLavoy. Follow the show at Crime Writers On and I encourage you to join our incredible community and our official Crime Writers On Facebook discussion group. Just go to our regular page, hit join the group, we'll let you in. Support the show at patreon.com slash partners in crime media. You'll get all the free stuff we make back there, including an early and ad-free version of this show. Our theme song was composed and performed by Ty Gibbons Our line editor is the wonderful Livy Burdett. The executive producer of this program is Kevin Flynn This show was recorded in the Treehouse Yoga Studio Above the Mockingbird Cafe in Bay St. Louis, Mississippi Studio Otherwise known as Studio C, The Closet In our New Hampshire basement where Kevin and I also settle all of our differences by arm wrestling On behalf of all the crime writers, thanks so much for listening We'll catch you later, later. <laughs> And then she says can't I put the dog in the overhead bin?
4: Ah! <laughs>
3: and then we're all like, "Oh, it's not fucking about the dog, is it, lady? It's not a, it's like you don't care." And he goes, "No ma'am, it's not safe for the dog to put the dog in the overhead can't put the bin. Dog in
1: the overhead
2: bin. <laughs>